This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, listen, are you craving some protein after a good workout? I know you are. We all are. This time, don't make a shake. Don't eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. All right, so why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and it's tender and it's made with real strips of steak plus quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is also a family-owned business. I know this family. I've spoken to this family. They take their smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Like who wants dried out rough beef in a bag? Like pretty much nobody, right? It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal. It comes in four amazing flavors. Old-fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness. You've got teriyaki, you've got peppered, and you've got hot and spicy if you want to shake things up a bit. Next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for it in the Clearview bag. This way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, just ask for it by name because I am telling you, no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? I was having a game, and I just remember Robert Brooks, former Packer receiver, he pulled me over to the side. He's like, look, as a returner, just get the first 10 yards, and then watch what happens. So, boom, I'm getting this line drive kick. This is the current game in Minnesota. Get the first 10. I make a couple moves, and I'm scot-free, and I score it. I just remember running to the sideline, and we all got together. We're like, bro, that is unbelievable what just happened like we need to, I was like we need to get lit every damn weekend you know hey there what's going on welcome to episode 148 of the Jim Rome podcast damn 148 that's a big number and it keeps growing and this week my guest is a former 12-year NFL vet he is a Super Bowl champ Will Blackman Will has been out of the league for a few seasons now but he is busy with one of the more fascinating side hustles a former athlete could get into wine the grape vino even though he is the wine MVP he is just as plugged into ball as he is the bottle and I am looking forward to a conversation about Pinot and pigskin. Let's get it. Episode 148 of the Jim Rohn Podcast with Will Blackman starts right now. Will, listen, great to have you on the program. Before we get into football and wine, let me first ask you this. It's such an unusual time. So first things first, how are you and your family doing during this incredibly unusual time? You know what? We're actually we're actually doing all right. Uh, the, the biggest thing is because as a as a family we do everything together. You know, so you know people say, hey, what are your hobbies? We you for fun. I literally hang out with my wife Shauna and our two kids, Ryder and Jade, and that's that's what we do. So the cool thing is our my our son and I we're homebodies, so we we thrive anyway. So it's been all good. You know, how to make some adjustments. You know, obviously uh, in the industry and work wise, but it, it's funny. I had a conversation with. Uh, some of my buddies um, in, uh, in the OC at the tattoo shop, and we were talking, and we said those 
those who are actually, who are creative actually thrived during COVID. And we found out those who weren't that creative and really relied on certain resources, they're the ones that crumbled during this situation. So I feel like we thrived. I think that's really interesting what you just said. That's so true, right? I mean, there's some people, and I think we all went through the stages of the pandemic, and some people were able to make the best of it and really thrive and kind of reinvent themselves, and others just kind of crumbled. I think that's really really interesting what you just said. Now, you mentioned the OC. Come to find out, you and I do not live that far from one another. No, no, we don't. Now, you're an East Coast guy. I got to ask, how did you end up out here? It had to either be a woman or the wine or both. (laughs) Listen. It was love, no question. Uh, my wife, she's local. She's from uh, South Orange County. So, yeah, it's funny. We met uh, back in 2008, and it so happens. Yeah, I met her, came out here, and I'm like, gosh, you are good away, so this is perfect. Angeles and my wife went to Long Beach Poly. Both. Then I moved back to L.A. for Mike, and she came up there with me. And, you know what, we got to go down to Orange County. I want to be closer to my family in Long Beach. And being in L.A., yeah, we're not doing that. She's like, yeah, we're probably going to do that because I've I've made all these sacrifices for you. It's time for you to make a sacrifice for me and my family. I'm like, well, all right. And everybody in L.A. will is like, man, Orange County sucks. It sucks. Don't go there. I'm not. Yeah, I'm down right. here for one hour. Exactly, right? I'm here for one hour, and I'm like, this is where I'm going to live for the rest of my life, or at least this is where I'm going to raise my yeah. kids. Exactly. You, so, And that's the biggest thing, too. We have help. That is everything. Her parents are here. We have help. I have my wife back. <laughs> that's, what, that's the most important thing for me. That, that is everything. That, that's a big thing. And, and family <laughs> means everything. Now, you mentioned Napa. I'm, I'm going to try to get to football. We were actually, my wife and I were married in Napa, and we're not oh, no wine way. people. Dude, Metalwood. We got married at oh, Metalwood. Oh, damn, dude, yeah. And, and the rehearsal dinner was in a cave at Pine Ridge. Yeah, so I, yeah. I didn't even know how good this is. In fact, you can tell me, and, and man, it's so sad about everything that's happened up there. I mean, everything, and Metalwood burned to the ground. I mean, what an amazing facility that is. Have you spent time up there at all, Metalwood? No, I have not gone there. That was actually next on the list because I'm actually um, I'm doing some uh, an interesting project in Napa right now as we speak. And, you know, that was one of the places that was desired. And, man, it's crazy to see that happen to them. So. It's wild, and, and I can imagine, you know, you have such a personal connection. We got married at the, uh, used to be the St. Regis, uh, now Monarch Beach uh, Resort, and they, they got rid of a gazebo where we got married. That broke mm, our heart. I can yeah. imagine, you know, the whole place burning down. That's crazy, though, yeah. Yeah, no, that's it. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And then the weird thing is, you and I are also kind of connected with the state of Wisconsin. So we built a house in northern Wisconsin, and I spent part of the summer in Eagle River this past summer. So I, I now know about that state a little bit. First time I ever went to Green Bay was for the NFC Championship game in 96. And again, being a California native, dude, I was not in any way prepared for any of that. The weather, the <laughs> town. I got to ask you, you played 12 years in the league. You were drafted by the Packers in 06. Like, what was that like for you when you first got to Green Bay? Listen, first of all, I want to say that's how I knew my wife loved me, when she moved to Green Bay with me from Orange County. That's how I knew it was legit. Right. <laughs> but, um, no, it's funny. I remember um, waiting in the draft. By the way, during the draft, I'm thinking this whole time, like, okay, I'm probably going to go to New York or Kansas City. Those are the two teams I really spent the most time with, especially Kansas City. I was with Herm Edwards all the time. You know, and talking to him and Gunther Cunningham forever. And that's where I was like, okay, that's probably what's going to happen. And then I get the call and I see 920. I'm like, what the heck is that? And I, I never, you hear Green Bay, you know, I never really thought, like, thought of it's Wisconsin. I just never thought of that, you know. And I'm like, oh, shoot, it's, you know, the Packers, you know. And 
And sure enough, they, they called and I answered and they're like, Hey, you know, we're going to get you here. And it's funny. The one time I met with the Packers, I w- I met them um, to play wide receiver because I played both ways at Boston college. And I just met with the receiver coach and we went over some routes and that was it. It was at the combine for like five minutes, you know? And they said, we're going to bring in the defensive back. And I was like, Oh, that's crazy. You know, now I didn't think much of the weather because I'm from the East coast. I went to Boston college. I'm from Providence. Um, so the cold weather wasn't a thing. It was just like, okay, there is, this is the one place I'm going to go where I have no family, no friends, absolutely nothing. And, but I was, I was just excited, man, just to be in the NFL um, period. So to, to get out there, it was funny because when I got drafted during free agency too, the Packers end up signing Charles Woodson, who, you know, shoot, I, I loved him at Michigan. He was my favorite college football player. And so that was cool in itself. And I was, you know, a diehard Brett Favre fan. So that was a little fanboying when I got over there. <laughs> All right. So there's there's a lot of really, really good stuff in that that I want to follow you up on. But you mentioned Herm and you mentioned Gunther Cunningham. Now, Gunther Cunningham, dude, he this guy is a legend, an absolute legend. And you met with them, obviously, at the Combine. What <laughs> happened when you sat down with Gunther? Bro, okay. So... We, we sit down, and it's funny. You hear all these, like, crazy combine stories. And I had two situations where I just left scratching my head. I, one of them was I met with Cincy before I get to Kansas City. I met with the Bengals. And I just remember it was, you know, probably like 9 p.m., and I'm talking to the talking to Marv Lewis and all the coaches, and they're really, like, grilling me with stuff. And I look up. Marv Lewis is laid out sleeping. Oh. Like, unconscious, dude. I'm like – all right, well, I'm not going to Cincinnati. Wow, know? dude. That's what I thought, you know. And it, at that time, man, I'm like, you want to be respectful and you don't want to hurt your draft status. Like, oh, this guy has an attitude and this, that, and the third. Because if I look back at that, I probably would have said something. But at the time, <laughs> I, was, I was trying to be a good boy. You know like, like I mean? wake up, old man. Yeah, I would have. Yeah, now I would have snapped, you know. Um, but with the Chiefs, I go in there and they, I sit down in the chair. It's just me, Marv, and Gunther. I mean, Herm and Gunther. And they start role playing like, okay, what if you're in the, what if you're in a nightclub? I'm like, all right, okay, what's gonna happen, you know? And some guy just comes up and he's in your face, right? And I can see Gunther like walking towards me slowly, you know. He had like that that walk, like he was, you know, in the hood somewhere. It was so funny, you know, him trying to imitate the walk, right? So he walks up on me and he's like, what if some guy walks up on you, and he just does this to you, and he puts his hands on my neck, dude, and starts to like. Semi choked me, and honestly, Jim, I busted out laughing so hard, and I was like, "Guys, I cannot take you guys serious right now." And That's incredible. Like, what do you mean? They said, "What do you mean?" I was like, "I just can't take you serious." What would you do? I was like, "I don't know. I guess." I was like, "I guess I would defend myself or call authorities." You know, I try to play the good guy card again, <laughs> you know. And they were like, "Ah, oh, all right." Will, Will, so. Will, did he did he literally wrap up on you? Did he get a hand on your throat? Yeah, he, he didn't put any pressure, but he just, like, kind of like my collarbone. Like, what if a guy did this? Yeah, I don't know. But what's funny is, though, I heard that they did that to Mario Williams, and I guess Mario Williams knocked Gunther on the ground. Like, get your hands off me. I, <laughs> okay, I see. I was going to say to you, that I'm, I'm, that's really funny you say that. First of all, Gunther probably loved that. And second of all, I was going to say, if, if he did that to you, I can't imagine you're the only one he did that to. Somebody must have swung on him or done something, right? So it yeah, was I Mario. Think, I heard Mario did, you know. And I, think that's what they, I think they wanted me to do that. Maybe they were like, oh, this guy's soft. He's not going to defend himself. He's a wimp. 
Maybe that's what they thought. That's why Kansas City passed up. Man, that, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the only thing I can compare that to in my life was I had a buddy who was a former Navy SEAL who wrote a book, and I read the book, and I got to know this guy. His, his name was Richard Makowitz, and we were very, very close. And Mac, he trademarked his own, like— martial arts discipline and I said do you train people he said yes the right people I said well what does that mean he said you have to pass a test I said what kind of test he's like well why don't you come down to my facility and we'll find out and I'm Uh freaking exactly I'm freaking out right (laughs) I'm like dude you can drop me off in the jungle somewhere and I gotta find my way back because I'm you know I'm just some soft media guy from the San Fernando Valley Will I go down and I'm talking to this guy I'm talking to this guy and then he looks at me and he says choke me I said, yeah, I don't think so. He said, choke me. I said, I'm really not comfortable. He looks at me and he says, choke me, motherfucker. So I'm like, "Uh, all right. And so I start to choke him. And he's like, harder, harder, harder. And now like he's testing my manhood. I'm choking this guy as hard as I possibly can. And he's not even flinching. He's like laughing at me. And I'm like, wow, man, that did not go well at all. And then he taught me what you do. Well, he taught me a lot of things, but what you do in the event that somebody wraps up on you like that, you lock them up, you lock their fist up, and then you go with the most vicious eye gouge possible. Gunther's lucky you didn't do that to him. Because it takes a lot for me to get riled up. It wasn't a real situation. Like, I can control my emotions. You know, that was, that's the one thing about me even being able to play and survive 12 years is like, I don't get rattled. You know what I'm saying? I'm super resilient. I can handle things. It's, you know, I, I feel like the more difficult, the more crazy things get, the, the more fun I have. So maybe, maybe I have a little psychotic in me, you know, in that regard. But Dude, I love that. Like, where did that come from? Like, did, is that, is that learned behavior? Did you learn that and train for that? Or have you always been like that? Yeah. I don't know. I think it's just developed. You know, I, I really try to do research and understand really where it came from, you know, and, you know, I, I dealt with some tragedy as a kid. I, I lost my mother when I was six years old due to mm-hmm. Crohn's. Um, and then I found out later it was a malpractice from Crohn's operation. And it was kind of like, okay, my mom passed away. I think it was like a Monday. And then Tuesday, we just went about our business. My father went to work. Wow. I signed up for football. Um, there, was, there was no grieving. So it got, I think it got to the point where it developed where, okay, if there's something major, tragic that happens in the life, all right, you know, it happened, go to the next, you know? And, and I think I, it was kind of like a good and bad thing. It was good because no matter how crazy a situation was, I could rise up and go on and, and either still play well or still get work done or still be able to put it away. But, you know, I feel like later on, um, especially, you know, football, I hate saying like it was my outlet, but it was because that's what I did. That's where I had the most fun. That's where I had the most control was between the white lines. So I can remember it was 2009 when I tore my ACL um, in Minnesota. I remember lying on the ground like, damn, dude, number one, it was my contract year. Your contract year, you just need to stay healthy. You don't need to make crazy plays. Just stay healthy, and, you know, you get taken care of. So I got injured my contract year. My, uh, my wife, we just got married, but we still um, – we we I think she was looking for a venue at the time or something crazy like that. Um, like there was just so much stuff going on. Um, and I was just thinking like, damn dude, like, like now what, you know, I tore my ACL, my best attribute was agility. Um, all this crazy stuff was going on. And I was just thinking like, I, you know, I went into a super dark hole because what did I have now? You know, it's like, what do I do now? I'm, I'm trying to rehab, trying to come back. 
um, not feeling good. I have nothing else, you know, and that's why I did a lot of soul search. And that's kind of where I went back and kind of rediscovered that this situation maybe is what it was. Um, and, and yeah, so it was, it was interesting, man. Well, yeah. that's really, really, really heavy and really dark. So how did you work through that work out of it? What did you learn about yourself? What was your process? What types of things did you think and do to get through that dark period? Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me is like, okay, that was your, that was your whole crutch, you know, that was your deal was football, but it's like, okay, like really observe and look around you. You know, if football was always there for you, who else or what else is always there for you? And I'm like, shit, man, like it's my wife. You know what I'm saying? You know, the biggest thing for me is I kept a lot of things to myself. I never said much. I always like, you know, I'll handle it. Maybe the alpha male thing in me, the competitor. I don't want to confine to her with stuff. She doesn't need to worry about me. Uh, you know, I'm going to take care of her. But it's like, nah, dude, like that's legit your best friend. You need to go and she may not even have the answers, but she's going to listen. It's a place to just, re, you know, vent and let someone else listen, you know? And I think that's, that's what happened. Because I'm the, I was the person in my family or even through my friends, I'm the one that everybody went to for stuff, for advice. Right. You know, and it's like, well, shit, man, like, what, well, who the hell do I go to? Right. You know? And, you know, I, I just struggle with, you know, with my faith because it was up and down here and there. Um, I was, I was a person where, hey, if things are going great, I'm in church every single day. Once things start going shitty, then, you know, ah, you know, I don't feel like going today. Like, I was, I was that guy, you know? And I think it was just straight. It was literally, it was my wife because especially once I, once I got injured and I had that label of being, you know, injury prone and every team wants to sign a waiver. And every time I go to a new team, I got to take 50 different x-rays. I'm signing these one year deals that had to, you know, go to a different team all the time and deal with this crazy heartbreak. The one person who was not rattled or moved was my wife. If I got, when I got cut from Seattle and, and had to move to Jacksonville, she was like, damn, dude, like we, we were so close, but guess what? We get to go to Jacksonville and we get to make new friends. We get to go to new city, new adventure. And I'll call the realtor, find you a place, get you a rental and let's move on and take, and take advantage of this next chapter. I'm like, damn dude, that is rare. Dude, what, like, <laughs> let me tell you something. Like you, you know this already. Like if you, if it was that stressful for you and her reaction was the same, like if she was really worried about everything all the time, it probably would never work. Like she turned all that shit on its head, right? Like this is an opportunity. This is a new adventure. This is a new yeah. experience. Like why, why is she like that? Was she wired like that or did she learn that? I, you know what? She's just she's just wise beyond her years. You know, I think I think even in her family, she's the one constant. She's the she's the moderator. She's the peacemaker. She's the one that everyone goes to, and she's able to handle all that stuff. And she's so zen and cool about it. And I think that's why we work. It's it's like it's like all of our friends are are separate friends. Like we're all misfits. You know, it's like we have this weird innate ability to to understand the misunderstood. You know, it's like I can look at someone who, you know, maybe is crazy or snaps or has short temper. I'm like, okay, you're like that for a reason. You're just, you're just not, you're just not an asshole because you're an asshole. Like something happened, something developed. There's a root, something, something in your life where it made you like that. You know, because no one, you're not born, you know, mean spirited person. You're not born like right now. What's going on? You're not born and I'm, hey, I'm racist all of a sudden. You know, like something. Something happened. You were in an environment that made you like that. 
Right. You know, we used to talk about this. I mean, maybe this is just something to say, but like there, there are no bad kids, just bad parents. And then, I, I mean, I don't know if I totally believe that. I've, I've met a couple of bad kids, but there is something to be said. These people don't just show up in the world like this. A lot of this is they're a product of their environment, their culture, what they see, what they hear, what they learn. I mean, I think there's something to that. That story you told about your dad and your mom, I mean, I'm really sorry about your loss and your mom, but uh, parents, now that I'm a parent, I understand my parents better than I did at that time obviously. But you know, it's just, it's a different generation. Like a similar story. I've told this on my show, Will, but like my dad had cancer. And when he got cancer, he and my mother pulled me and my sister aside and said, we're not telling anybody. All right. Business as usual. We own the company. We're going to go to work. We're not telling anybody. And then they just do it. I'm like, damn, are you, are you fucking kidding me? Like we're not telling anybody. And it's just so strange. And then you tell that story about how your mom passed and your dad was like, business as usual. Let's go back to work. I mean, if, if that were your wife today, there's no way you could handle that like that, right? Yeah, it, it was different. You know, you know, my dad, he um, he was a correctional officer, you know, and he it, it's funny, like I understood what he went through and I, I really appreciate my dad. You know, that's why when you mentioned, hey, it's all about the parents. That's how it is. Like I, I coach kids from six years old. I coach kids in high school. I train defensive backs in the offseason every year. And especially when I look at kids and I see the child, I look right at the parent. If the child is crazy, then I'm like, okay, let me see this parent. You know, right. only in rare cases, you have that one child where the parents are nuts and they're mature enough to be like, hey, man, I'm still going to handle my business. You know, it's almost like you like you take two kids, right, and say the parents, the parents are, the, the dad's an alcoholic. You got two brothers. One is like, hey, man. I don't want to ever drink again because my father is like that. You got the other ones like, oh, I'm an alcoholic because my dad, you know, he drank. So, you know, I'm going to do that too. Now, yeah, there's some studies that there's some genetic stuff in there. I get it and all that. But you, you still, there's a choice, you know. And I, I've seen a lot of stuff. But even when I'm coaching, I feel like I'm doing more parenting and mentoring than I am actually teaching football or any technique, you know, because it's crazy. It, it, it's, it's at home. And I, I see it all over the place. And I'm just so fortunate just what my dad, and this is now kind of like the whole, you've seen a documentary trophy kids that was on Netflix, I think it was, or HBO, where the parents are just crazy. And especially here in California, the parents are nuts when it comes to sports. And I was just so, I always, anytime I talk about parents, I always bring up my dad because my dad is, my dad loved football. He coached kids he coached women he coached he coached inmates he coached everybody you know every level for football if i had a terrible game the car ride was silent he didn't say anything to me unless i brought it up he didn't make me lift the weight he never made me drink a protein shake he never made me go to any camps he let me have fun and when i especially when i talk to these parents and kids i'm like especially as a youth from Pop Warner through high school, I did everything. I had, I, I, made, I got every single accolade you can think of as a kid. So it worked. You don't have to destroy your kids to make the, because then that's when they rebel. I know a number of you listening are business owners. If you are, you do not need to tell us that running a business is tough. It is really tough. But you might be making it tougher on yourself than it has to be. Don't let QuickBooks and spreadsheets slow you down any longer. It is time for you to upgrade. Upgrade to NetSuite. Stop paying for multiple systems that do not give you the information you need when you need it. Get rid of the spreadsheets and all that old software. Get rid of the spreadsheets 
and all the old software that's bogging you down that you've outgrown. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need, and it's all in one place, and you get it instantaneously. So whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in revenue, save time and money with NetSuite. Join the over 21,000 companies that are using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash Rome. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash Rome. Once again, netsuite.com slash R-O-M-E. Yeah, so I'm really curious. Well, like you mentioned, you're an East Coast guy, but you mentioned that the parents out here in Cali are crazy in your words. Like, what's their deal? I mean, are they are they inherently unhappy with themselves and they're living vicariously through the kids? Are the kids the trophies? Like, why are the parents here, sports parents, so crazy? What's your rea- or what's your experience with that? Well, well, first of all, just Southern California alone is such a competitive right. environment, you know? Who has the who has the nicest house? Who has the nicest car? Everybody in Southern California is in shape, you know. Everyone in California did some kind of cosmetic alterations or whatever, you know, male and female. And you know, here especially when I get to the sports world, we're we're right in the heart and center of the Trinity League. The Trinity League is the best the best division or conference in high school football in America, in my opinion. They for the past like two years, three years, they had the number one and the number two team in all of high school football in the same division. And it's incredible. I just feel like, I just feel like it gets so crazy and competitive uh, for these parents, um, which is, I, I love coaching so I can tell a parent to sit his ass down. Like right. that's why I enjoy parenting. I mean, coaching, but that's what it is. It's, that is just the environment. Every single person here thinks, you know, their kid deserves a scholarship, you know, yet that yet are they willing to listen to the process? There was, I remember uh, when I was helping out one school, we had a we had a preseason preseason meeting, and the coach was talking about just men and and, and environment and culture, like all these things that you want to hear as a CEO, but you don't want to hear as a parent. Because one, one guy came up to me afterwards, he was like, "The coach said nothing about winning. Right. Like I can't, we we transferred here because it was all about winning. No, he said we're going to compete for a championship. He goes, yeah, but he barely touched on it." I said, you missed the most important part. He said, what? He's, I said, the coach said he measures his, his success based on how many weddings he gets invited to. Yeah, they don't want to hear that. A, that. He missed it, you know? And once, he sunk in his, once it sunk in his mind and his soul, he was like, damn, this guy is going to love my kid. Period. That's all you want. That's all you want. I, when I was talking to Coach Jeff Halfley at Boston College, he said, man, I just love loving on these kids. These kids just need love before any kind of coaching. They need love. And I'm loving these kids. And that's that's what it's all about. Well, man. that's exactly. Like, as a parent, yeah. that's who you want to send your kids to. But I, I know exactly what you're talking about because, like you and I mentioned, I don't live that far from you. And both my kids play travel baseball. And I've seen this thing. You know, like, oh, oh, that's the worst. Dude, all I wanted was my, and it's still all I want, were for my kids to learn the lessons of sports and everything that comes along with it. You learn to win the right way. You lose the right, the right way. You learn work ethic. You learn camaraderie. You learn how to bond. Man, make that high school baseball team. And if for whatever reason, 
reason you catch a lucky break and you get interest beyond that perfect but just get to high school baseball man it, it's a wild thing to see it's a wild yeah, thing to see no one nobody knows how to once adversity hits everyone crumbles man it's, it's wild well that's why you want them to play i want the kids to learn that that my biggest concern about being in the nice neighborhood with a nice house on the hill is man you gotta learn to grind you gotta learn to grind because right. life is hard dude life is hard and I mean, now I'm getting off the, the beaten path completely, but I would say to my wife, Janet, like, don't baby these kids. I mean, I'm not trying to be like bad cop, but you're not doing them any favors if you baby them because we're turning them loose into a world that is fierce and competitive. That's funny they have to that. learn. Because I'm the, I'm the disciplinarian in the house. Right. And we, my wife and I had several conversations where, yeah, I can be, I can be super stern and maybe a little, little more aggressive than she likes, you know, when it comes to certain things, but. It's like, yeah, I, I said I understand that. I would be concerned if love was lost between our kids and I. Right. Like, like if the kids wanted nothing to do with me, then I'm like, okay, I need to make some adjustments because this is not working. But like, my kids love me to death. And they come at me every morning, they hug me. They can't wait for me to play or take them to school or pick them up. Like, they love me wholeheartedly. But at the same time, they know what time it is, you know, and – I, I did. I, I literally, this is where I made a huge change in my parenting. Our, our son is nine, our daughter's five. And I literally sit down and talk to them. I said, this is an open floor. Like, do not feel any type of way. I said, do you think I am harsh? Do you think daddy is, is mean? Like, you know, because I, I, I will be a better father if you think so. They were like, no, honestly, we don't think you're mean at all. And this is them. This is, this is how they speak. They're, they're funny and articulate and hilarious. They said, we don't think you're mean at all. If they say, if we do something bad, then we should get in trouble for it. But for the most part, we think you're awesome. I, I think I that's I, that, that's amazing. No, I think that's great. I love that. I love that. And I know I know that you understand what I'm about to say because I think you're in the same exact spot. Like my wife, Janet, used to say to me early on with the kids, I'm afraid they're going to resent you. I said, listen, listen, this is not fun. Being the bad cop is not fun. It would be very easy for me not to do it, but this is what we signed up for when we became parents. And they're not going to resent me, I don't think, and I hope, but I really think they're going to respect me. And if you go years down the road, that's how it is. I'm sure they didn't like everything. Every single message, but they respect us, right? That's the thing. They don't resent it. And even she's doubled back to now I get it. Now I understand that they don't resent you. You had to do it. It's good. You know, you have to do right. that. All right. So, no. we'll, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was agreeing with you. That's all. Yeah. So let me ask you, I'm picking my spots here, you and I, because that, that this is, I love this conversation because this is not the conversation I thought that you and I would have, <laughs> but, a, it, but it's awesome. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot going on here. I'm just kind of, I'm kind of following you around, <laughs> we, man. You had, we might need a part two, bro. I'm yeah, right. We can do that. I, I can, I can set that up for I sure. Need, I need to come to the studio and then. And we can do that. Out, and I, I need to spend time with you. And learn about wine. But let me ask you about wine. You mentioned Charles Woodson. Now, that's your guy. Charles Woodson has always been your guy. And there's this amazing story. Like, you had wine in college. So it's not like Charles yeah. Woodson was your first uh, exposure to wine. But there's this great story about you going to play the Vikings. And the night before, you bumped into a few glasses of wine with Charles. What happened that night? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, my, my dad gave me like a sip when I was like 12, you know. But, but um, no, so... So Charles, would, he would always take the defensive backs um, out to dinner on road games. You know, we, we would hang out. Coach McCarthy gave us plenty of time to go have dinner and hang out and come back for meetings. So we go to Minnesota, short trip from Green Bay, and we had a lot of time to go hang out. And there's a restaurant in Minneapolis, downtown Minneapolis 7, uh, I believe it's called. Really nice place, uh, really nice food. And 
we, you know, we end up ordering wines like usual. Um, I'm in my third year, so I'm more than comfortable, you know, hanging out, having a few glasses before uh, the game. And so we're there for a while. We end up having more wine, more wine. And then I remember there was like an upstairs and we heard music and we're like, hey, like, what's upstairs? And like, oh, it sounds like a club or a lounge. Like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So we look at our watches. We're like, hey, we got plenty of time. Let's go upstairs and, you know, hang out a little more. We have, we have time. So we get up there. Uh, they just give us a cool little section area. We can all sit down. It's four of us. Um, like me, Charles, Nick Collins, Tremont Williams. I think Patrick Lee was with us too. And so we go up there, we hang out, and then we have time. So, hey, let's, let's get a few more drinks. You know, why not? And we, we start doing that. And I just remember uh, we ran into Joe, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman because they were calling the game, and they hung out with us for a little bit. And then uh, we get back in time for meetings. I just remember I was like, gosh, you know, I'm a little little hazy right now, um, and I'm I'm getting nervous, and that's and that is the issue when you hang out with veterans because they've had been doing this stuff for a long time. Just to go off track for a second, my rookie year, we went to go play Detroit Lions. I remember I went to the store with me, Charles Woodson, Al Harris, Nick Barnett. Meanwhile, all these guys are making like seven, eight figures. I haven't gotten there, and I remember we were at this one clothing store, and they were just grabbing stuff, not looking at the price tag. Well, I'm going to grab stuff and don't look at the price tag. And then when I got to the register, the lady was like, hey, this is $25,000. How would you have to pay? Wow. I was like, I would like to pay just for these socks and not the rest of this. Wow, right? (laughs) Wow. That's why I should have learned my lesson. So then getting back to the Minnesota story, I ended up going to bed after meetings, uh, had my snack, watched the late college games, and then got the next morning. I'm like, shit, dude, I feel like absolute garbage. You know, I need to hydrate. I need to get an IV get Pedialyte, get some salt, get all these hydration tools. Meanwhile, they tell you, you got to hydrate two days before the game. I'm trying to hydrate two hours before the game. And, um, and Will, it was a noon game, right? Noon. Uh, I think it was noon or like a late noon. I can't remember exactly. Okay. But, uh, but you feel so like then, shit. Oh, uh, I, I am. I, but, you know, I get the pre-workout and I start to rev up. And, you know, the, the mutant abilities that us NFL players have end up taking over a little bit, you know. Right. I still, still have a headache, but. The game gets going. Immediately, Charles Woodson gets an interception, right? And I'm like, well, that's Charles. He's playing his ass off. He's like the constant. Like, Charles, there were times where he did not practice for, like, months, and he was going out there and getting interceptions. That's Charles. And then later, Tremont Williams gets the interception. Now, he's our young, rising cornerback, has an incredible story, no scholarship, undrafted, you know. Now he's starting because he has made plays. So I'm understanding that, too. And then later, Nick Collins gets a pick six. And I'm just like, damn, dude, but Nick, Nick's been playing his tail off too. He's, he's, you know, fighting for a new contract. He's now like one of the best safeties in the NFL. So all this is making sense. And then now I go back there to return a kick. Already with all this in mind, like, damn, Charles, Nick, and Tremont <laughs> are balling out. And then – Chris Cooley kicked me a nut. He outkicked everybody. And it was a perfect punt. And I just remember earlier that season, um, the first game of the season, we played Minnesota. And I was, that was the first game my wife went to. And I was trying my ass off to score a touchdown for her. And I was having a shitty game. And I just remember Robert Brooks, former Packer receiver, he pulled me over to the side. He's like, look, as a returner, just get the first 10 yards and then watch what happens as opposed to dancing around. I'm like, okay, cool. So I remember that, and I actually scored that game, the first game versus Minnesota. So, boom, 
I'm getting this line drive kick. This is the current game in Minnesota. And get the first 10, and I'm, I make a couple moves, and I'm scot-free, and I score. I just remember running to the sideline, and we all got together. We're like, bro, that is unbelievable what just happened. <laughs> like, we need to, I was like, we need to get lit every damn weekend, you know. Now, that's not, that's not what happened. But what I did start doing when I would get back to my room after snack, I always had a glass, almost like a reminder, you know, like, hey, let me get relaxed. Let me have a glass of wine. Let me go over my notes, watch the late games. And so that became like a smaller tradition. So that's kind of how it got started. With that, that's an, am- every that, that is such an amazing story. That's some Max McGee shit right there. Like, go out there, hit it hard, party hard, show up the next day, ball out, take it to the house. The thing is, though, I mean, Will, it's, a, it's an amazing story. It's a great story. But the fact is, you're all in. I mean, you've said it. You're not just immersed. You're obsessed. Like, what is it that you're obsessed with? You could do, and you have done a lot of things. I mean, you could coach. You could be in a front office. You can do some right. broadcasting. I mean, you're all about the wine. What is it that you love so much about that product in that industry uh you know what it is? the biggest thing for me why i'm all in it is the same it is the same way how i fell in love with football and it was the history of the game the history of wine when i was young like four years old my father had all these old school nfa nfl films vhs tapes right it was like it was uh Sam Spence, you know, scoring the music, and it was John Facenda's voice, you know, you know, the autumn wind, like all that stuff. Right. I was obsessed with all that cool stuff. Uh, I remember my, the favorite film I used to watch was uh, Inside the Hidden in the Cell. That's when everybody was mic'd up, and you just heard all the cool stuff. And I was like, damn, that's exactly what I want to do. Just watching those guys, this battle, how they paved the way, I was obsessed. Same thing, when I saw all these, like, cool documentaries like Psalm and um, you know, the Canton and all these other cool things, a year in Burgundy. I just, I was just infatuated with the history. Like you, you get to, every glass is a different country. You get to travel in a glass as a passport in a glass. And I thought that was so cool. People like all these war stories, all these historical things, like, for example, like Bouv Coco champagne, right? Uh, it was owned by uh, Felipe Coco. And then, you know, the son had it and he and his wife, you know, she wanted to elevate the business and he was not in favor. He just wanted to sell the wine and so be it. So once he passed away, his wife took over the business and she made it what it is today. And the of Coco means widow of Coco. Hmm. I thought that was, I, to me, I thought that was fascinating. I thought right. that was super cool. You know, like little stuff like that. I had a, I had a teammate call me. Uh, he was like, Lyndon Trail, he played me on, the, on Washington. And he's like, hey, man, I love, I love Moscato, but people look at it like, oh, it's a feminine drink. You know, it's not, it's not masculine because it's a sweet wine. I go, okay, if you need some ammo, I got you. He was like, tell me. I said, so Moscato, the interesting thing about that is that when the World War II veterans came home, there was a high demand for Moscato because that's the beverage of choice when they were fighting over there. They loved Moscato. I said, so there were guys dying for our country drinking that shit. So you tell them that. Uh, <laughs> and, right, and right. Was, and he was like, oh, I was like, yeah, man. I was like, come on, man. Like, it's, and that's the stuff I love. Yeah, I, 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 never, I was never like big on the lifestyle being super cool because my whole, my whole brand is, let's, let's, let's chill out. It's, it's just fermented grape juice. It's super fun. But you're not better than anybody else because you drink wine, you know? Right.
Hey, listen, did you know that a fire department responds to a fire every 24 seconds? October is, in fact, Fire Prevention Month, and we have teamed up with First Alert, the most trusted brand in fire safety, to help you get ready for the unexpected and review some key safety tips. Smoke and carbon monoxide alarms help provide an early warning in the event of a home emergency. And having enough First Alert smoke and carbon monoxide alarms is one of the very best things that you can do for your family. What you want to do is make sure you install alarms on every single level and in every single bedroom of your home. Once the alarms are installed, it is important to maintain them by testing them with regularity. Remember, alarms do not last forever. They do need to be replaced every 10 years. If you can't remember the last time that you replaced yours, it is best just to replace that unit completely. And my favorite replacement option is the First Alert Combination Smoke and Carbon Monoxide Alarm with a 10-year sealed battery. This alarm provides two-in-one protection against smoke and carbon monoxide both. And I don't even have to change the batteries for a decade. I love that. Also, remember, take this time and discuss home safety with your family. Plan and practice an escape route and remember to practice that at least twice a year. And for more information on fire safety products, safety tips, and educational activities that you can do at home with your family, just go to firstalert.com slash fire prevention month. I've done this with my family. We continue to do so. You should too. Obviously, you love wine country. You and I talked about Napa. I've got my mother has got a place in Santa Inez. And I went to school at UC Santa Barbara, so I know that area pretty well. What about yeah. that region of the state for wine? Have you spent much time up there? And what about the wines up in San Inez? No, uh, it's awesome. We were actually, we spent our anniversary in Happy Canyon. Um, we went to Crown Point Estates up there, owned so, by Roger Bauer. So, dude, my mom is uh, right by Happy Canyon. Happy Canyon's okay. unbelievable yeah. real estate, right? Oh, unbelievable amazing. real estate. Yeah, t- right. So we were we spent a lot of time there. Roger Bauer, he's He's going to get some really high scores coming up soon for his wine. Really great up there. Melville is awesome. Uh, Pink, the singer, uh, she has one right there in Happy Canyon called uh, Two Wolves, and she actually worked on the vineyard. Like, mm. she is there getting dirty. Um, and then you go a little bit to, like, Lompoc, you get uh, Channon. That's a really good one, too. So, yeah, no, Santa Barbara is legit. No question about it. So let me ask you this really quickly. So I'm like, I'm late to it. It's kind of like golf. I never picked it up, so I just said, screw it. And then wine, like I've always been a cocktail guy. I've gone through this whole thing in my life where I, I pride myself well, and I never picked up that uh, habit of a beer or a glass of wine during the work week. I grind, I grind, I grind, get to Friday, and then get to that beverage, right? So I was a gin guy for a long, long time until it tore me up. Then I downgraded to vodka until that tore me up. I've been on a real tequila kick of late. And again, this is only a Friday, Saturday thing. And then all of a sudden lately, I just started to pick up a little red wine, a little bit of Pinot, and back in the day, maybe some cabs. I don't know where to start or where to go from here because since you know nothing at all, it's a little intimidating. If I want to break myself in and start to educate myself what do i do uh you call me okay okay <laughs> yeah no seriously yeah so yeah our, my company the wine mvp you lay know, that out lay whole, that out for me what is the wine mvp yeah so the wine mvp it, it was the nfl wine guy and i changed it because of the acronym i didn't want to deal with any you know law legality stuff season desist so the the wine mvp basically is the i it's basically coming from a pro athlete but it's the ideology that anyone can be the MVP of wine, right? The most valuable talent. And so with my company, there's two entities in the wine MVP. You have the personal concierge side, and that's where I curate wines. I, like, you know, I have clients like, like Matt Ryan. I did his entire cellar. I did Reggie Bush's cellar. I sold the Justin Tuck. Um, 
bunch of guys, you know, I, I tell wine to them. Um, I'm going to do uh, Josh Allen. He's building a cellar, so I'm going to help him out. And that's the personal concierge side. And I'm like, okay, well, not everyone's going to spend that kind of wine, money on wine. And I still want to bring the educational aspect because that's how I fell in love with wine was the education and knowledge. So I decided to uh, partner with the wine exchange right there in Santa Ana as my vendor because uh, I wanted to use their business license and created the Wine MVP Subscription Club. And with that, I picked two premium wines. I say premium because, you know, they're from rich uh, – they're from wineries with rich history. I put those in the box, and I also put in tasting cards um, that look like trading cards. They have my notes on the back. In, in real layman's term, a little bit about the wine, a little bit where it's from, what it is, and what it goes well with, like a tailgate pairing. And then I also put together, like, a, if you want more information, I have, like, a five- to six-minute video of me giving a full breakdown of both wines. Hmm. And it's, it comes down for me. I'm talking just like how I am now. I'm not being, you know, all psalm, like sommelier. I'm not saying, hey, this is medium minus acid. This is tannins. This is phenolic bitters. I'm not talking over your head like that. I'm talking to you really normal. Now, if there's something if there's something cool, like, oh, why, why is this buttery note in wine and Chardonnay? Well, there's a process called malolactic fermentation. Lactic meaning dairy. There's, that's what creates the creamy, buttery notes, you know. And also barrel does, does it, too. So if, I, if there's something important like that, you know, then I'll go over it. But other than that, man, it's super cool. I've been getting really a really good response about it. Um, articles all over the place. I've been blessed to be wine enthusiasts. I made the top 40 on the 40 list for That's them. That's cool. Um, featured in Wine Spectator, Vine Pair. Like, just it's been really, really fun. So, dude, what, what do you have more... What do you have more pride in? I mean, it's not, it's apples to oranges. They're two different worlds. I know you want to thrive in both, but what do you have more pride in? Your, your exceptional athletic achievements or the fact that you're getting this kind of respect and love in the wine world? Oh, pride for sure in football, because not everyone could do that shit. Not everyone (laughs) can go to the NFL and not everyone can play 12 years. Not everyone can have nine surgeries and keep bouncing back. You know, not everyone can get cut the year Green Bay went to Super Bowl and then come back the next year with the New York Giants and get a Super Bowl. Like, a lot of people quit after one injury. So the fact that I set out to be one of the 1% of the 1%. And did it. I'm, I'm, and get it, I'm way more proud of that. No question about it. No, I get that, and I respect that. So what about wine then? Like, is there, like, you, you obviously as an athlete, some of this is genetic, some of this is God-given. Is there any of that in wine? Like, is there a knack? Is any of that God-given, or is that all learned? Um, so in terms of, if that makes sense, yeah. So in terms of understanding it, like when guys blind taste, that is definitely learned. And I thought it was just a God given ability. Like, Oh, I can taste the, I can smell apples and pears. And this wine is from 2016. That is learned. It's it's, it's a complete process of elimination. It's something that I can actually show you in person, which is, it'll be super cool. It's a process of elimination. So prime example, right? I know Sauvignon Blanc in New Zealand is like guava, grapefruit, and bell peppers, right? Those are the notes in that wine. Wow. So if I, get a, if I get two white wines and one of them smells like, you know, lemons and mango, and the other one smells like, you know, grapefruit and, I don't know, yeah, and bell peppers, 
There is no other white wine that smells like grapefruit, guava, and bell peppers. There is no other white wine that does. So immediately I throw out Pinot Grigio. I throw out Chardonnay. I throw out, you know, Albarino. I throw all those white wines out because none of those do. So now I'm working to find more notes to find out, okay, Sauvignon Blanc, but where? Where is the Sauvignon Blanc? You know, if I get bell peppers, then it's New Zealand. If I get chalk, then it's probably Sancerre. Right. In France. You know what I'm saying? So You learned it. That's yeah, you learned that part. All right. But in so, terms of when you when you mention like how how does any of those characteristics from football cross over, yeah. I just think the I just think the part where um one, if you blind taste, you're gonna get it wrong. So you're gonna fail. Just like you're not gonna always get a flat path infection. You're gonna get beat, you know. Um but also too, just as a from a business perspective, there's gonna be days where it's no business. You know, it's just not going to go your way or things are slow or, you know, it's just grind and it's tiring. I, I'm, I'm not big on like quotes and all that stuff. Um, I do like certain things, but I did see one the other day. Uh, it was from Kevin Hart. And he said, look, giving up is easy, right? You heard that tons of times, right? Giving up is easy. He said the hardest thing to do, he said, is to get up, bust your ass, give 110% and go nowhere. And then get up the next day, bust your ass, give 110%, go nowhere. And then do that for like four days straight and still get up and keep giving 100. That, he said, that's the grind right there. Hell yes, it is. And it's funny because I went through that like a few weeks ago. Like, damn, like nothing's happening. But I'm going to keep going. And that's how it was with football, man. It's like, man, there are times where you're in a game and you're getting your ass kicked all day. You know, there was a perfect example. We played the Tennessee Titans on in Jacksonville in 2013. And at this point, we're rebuilding. So we have, I'm in a room with a bunch of rookies. So when you're rebuilding, you play the rookies, right? You want to see what you have. You want to see who can play, who can't play. Meanwhile, I'm there. I'm in year eight. I'm trying to get going. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm on a one-year deal. I'm trying to get some film. So coach is not putting me in the game, um, our defensive back coach. And I'm in there from some situations. And now – we're in a situation where, okay, we might be able to get our first win. This might be Gus Bradley's first win. So now Gus Bradley's like, hey, I want, I want guys who have been in situations in the game, okay, because we're not playing just to see who can play. This is not audition anymore. We're trying to win this he game. He needs that win. Yeah. So all of a sudden, what we're in the last three minutes, coach puts me at nickel in the game. I'm like, all right, here we go, you know. I'm pissed off all game. I'm like, I'm at the point where I'm just going to sit down. Like, I'm over this, you know. So I go in the game and ended up, you know, playing a little bit. And I remember a coach called the blitz the right side. I ended up showing it too early. And I got blocked. And I went over to the coach. And I'm like, dude, I said, call it again. Call it to the other side. Like, I can get this, dude. So I go to the other side, run the same blitz. I time it up perfect, sneak in, strip the ball from Ryan Fitzpatrick, and take it to the house and score a touchdown. And we were already up by two, but it put us up now, you know, by seven, I believe it was. Dude, how good did that and, feel? Oh, it was great, man, because I knew I was getting, like, slighted all year, all game. And I was like, oh, you know, how can I just stay with it when it's not going my way? How can I just keep practicing every single day when I know all the odds are against me? And I just stay with it. And then eventually something happened, you know? 
It, it's such a great story. It's such a great message, man. You don't like you and I could do hours on that alone. Like Kevin Hart, The Rock, like these guys. It's not. It's not by accident that these guys end up where they are, man. It's the process. It's the grind. It's the work. It's going a hundred when you get nothing back in return and getting up and doing it the next day. And Will, I know you got somewhere right. to go, so hit me really quickly. Like you and I need to finish this, and I need to continue this education. But for those listening that want to join the club or get more information on the Wine MVP, what do they do? Where do they go? Yeah, they literally, if you want to join the club, go to thewinemvp.com. Um, it's seventy nine ninety eight, shipping included. Um, and that's where you go. You can go to, you can follow at the wine MVP. You can follow me at Will Blackman. And yeah, it's, I just have a lot of fun. I'm actually doing something cool this week with Napa Valley Vintners. They represent about over 500 wineries in Napa. And I'm going to feature a bunch, a bunch of their wines this week. And it's kind of like come together because Napa dealt with a lot of nonsense with the fire. So it's like, hey, let's help build the community together. And I'm going to do a bunch of, you know, live tastings like every day starting tomorrow. And stories and posts about that. So if you want to see how I, people want to see how I roll with wine, then they can just tune in. Good stuff. And if you're drinking wine, request and I'll bring you on and we can chat. So uh, that, I like that. Appreciate that. Good notion. I mean, there's a lot of stuff right around the studio from where we are. You and our neighbors, we got to get caught up. Hey man, we covered a lot of ground. We'll need a part two of this at some time soon, but I appreciate that. <laughs> Will, great to have you on. My man. Thank you, Jim. Listen, I know that it can be frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or you're running late and you find yourself at a railway crossing and you're waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not there yet, you might feel slightly tempted to try to sneak across the tracks. Do not do it. Bad decision. Don't ever do it. You see, to the naked eye, trains often appear to be further away and moving slower than they actually are, but they can't stop quickly. Even if the engineer hits the emergency brakes right away, it can take a train over a mile, over one mile to stop. By that time, it's too late. The result is a potentially deadly crash. The point is this. You can't know how quickly the train is going to arrive. The train can't stop quickly. Even if it sees you, it's going to end in a disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way. And you, you need to just remember one thing. Stop. Because the train's cannot man how good was that huge thanks to will blackman for the time and the conversation that was outstanding i think i'm going to find my way into a new bottle of grape this weekend per his recommendations speaking of recommendations i would highly recommend that you get subscribed to this podcast so you never miss a future episode it's a-list guests long-form conversations and we do it every single week 148 and counting which means ep 149 is coming your way next wednesday but until then here are your voicemails First new message. Jim, I want to thank you for the Jungle Karma. You had Brian Kelly on. They beat Louisville. You had Buda Baker. Wow, what a game did he have. But when did you get Tampa all the karma? The Lightning won the Cup. The Rays in the World Series. Tom Brady's with the Buccaneers. I got to keep you move the Clippers to Tampa out. Message saved. Next message. Hi, Jim. Bella B in Calgary. It's nighttime. You said you'd answer your voicemail on the pod at night. Well, here I am. You're the bleep arm. Message deleted. Next message. What's up, Romans? Dr. Dave. You know, I know that Bella B always gets the ATP, but I think that Justin in Melbourne, David in Buffalo, and I should be getting some props for being your quintessential voicemailers. We're in on this every week. 
we get, should get some kind of recognition or some prize. But in all reality, Jim, I think the next step for you is to be able to talk to Alex Trebek and get a category on Jeopardy where you get to announce it all by yourself. I think that's only fitting for all the crappy sports takes that a lot of the contestants have done in the past. If I ever get on, you know I would never get those wrong. Later, bitches. Get your flu shots. Message saved. Next message. Romy, Justin, and Melbourne. This Tampa Bay Rays team, they're incredible. For the last 10 years, they've performed, and these fans ought to be ashamed of themselves. I'm sorry, the, the ones that actually show up to the game, all 500 of them, I have never seen a franchise with less support and performing so well out there. I mean, I know Buffalo fans ugly and they're idiots, but you know what? They're as loyal as the day is long. The Rays ought to transfer up to Buffalo and be appreciative. We're about ready to have a team win a World Series, and next year they'll still only draw maybe 2,000 fans. Message saved. Next message. Rome, what's up? This is David from Buffalo. I'm calling in about that call that John from Seatown made on Wednesday. I mean, dude, you're reading your whole take. Dude, come with your thoughts original. I mean, John, it was so obvious you're reading your take. You never want to smack off, dude. You were not really that great of a caller in an era when there were some legendary callers. You were nowhere near as good as the Cavalier Nation. Dude, the best rivalry, Romy, was Greg from Vegas against John from Seatown because Greg in Vegas had kind of an interesting career before he started calling your show, and John was always jealous of that, I felt like. John was the guy who spiked people's drinks back in the day at tour stops. John, just know this at the end of the day, dude. You're a phony, you're a fraud, and your sports teams in Cleveland have been irrelevant for years, dude. You're a joke. Your calls are a joke. You were like a 12th place caller in the Smack Off. You make Matt from Vancouver look like the Tiger Woods of the Smack Off. Out. Message saved. Next message. Hey, what's up, Vince Max? This is Brady in Rochester. I hope you're as excited as I am for this World Series. Here's what I want to see. Considering these guys who are doing the bat flips and, the, and walking around the bases, I want somebody to hit a home run into the upper deck, turn toward their own dugout, get out on both knees, lay that bat down on the ground with two hands as if they're leaving an offering at a Shinto shrine, then stand up, go full sprint all the way around the bases, and slide headfirst into home plate. I think that would be tremendous. Let me know when the Zoom viewing party is for that uh, HB City Council candidate debate, and I'll see you then. Message saved. Next message. This is Ken in Milwaukee. I'm just calling early for your What's Your Beef segment. I just want to know who in the right mind cut your show off a half hour early today to put on some kind of soccer show. Whoever did that should get fired faster than Mike McCarthy of the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, and by the way, Jim, I don't know if that house in Eagle River comes with a shovel, but they expect to get three to six inches of snow tonight and tomorrow. Message saved. You have no more messages. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better. Because my all new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.